0: Amen. If you'll join me in turning to Galatians chapter 3 in your Bibles, we're going to be looking today at Galatians 3 verses 19 through 25. We've been walking through the book of Galatians and studying Paul's letter here to a group of people who had fallen under false teaching. Paul had taught them the pure, genuine gospel, but then others had come in and taught them that in order to be saved, they needed to also follow the old testament law that it was through the law ultimately that they would be saved and so we've now come to a point in paul's letter where he's making it very clear uh, that salvation only comes through faith in jesus christ and in christ alone and so last lord's day we looked at how uh, paul writes them about how this promise came to abraham and ultimately the promise was fulfilled in jesus that that jesus is the one that all the promises of scripture find their yes in and so it's only through faith in christ that we can truly be saved. And so the question then that naturally comes from this argument is, well, what purpose then did the law serve? If the law wasn't there to save, then why was the law given? And that is the question that Paul will answer now as we look at Galatians 3, verses 19 through 25. And so out of reverence for God's Word, if you're able to, if you would stand once more as I read this text for us. And this is what God's Holy Word says. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we no longer are under a guardian. If you would pray with me. Father, we do pray that you would help us to clearly understand the purpose of the law today. And if there is anyone here who is holding on to their works as a means for salvation. If there's anyone here who's trusting that in the last day they will stand before You and they will plead their case based on what a good life they led. Lord, through the power of Your Holy Spirit, would You show them and show us the foolishness of such an argument. Would You show us, Lord, this day our utter need for the gospel of Jesus Christ And how we can receive that gospel through faith and faith alone. We ask that you do this in the power of your spirit. And in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I've already mentioned, I know attention for for many of us has been on this storm. If you've turned on the news, turned on the weather, you've seen uh, so much spoken of about Hurricane Florence and its arrival on the coast of the Carolinas. I was particularly interested in watching this towards the latter part of the week. Uh, many of you know I'm from North Carolina. Uh, we're actually from Wilmington where this storm came ashore initially at. And so uh, I, I was staying up late Thursday night watching the coverage, watching the news stories, watching uh, the interviews with so many people, uh, those who had fled and gone to shelters, uh, those who were staying as well. And, and what caught my attention was one interview in particular. Uh, On Thursday night, they were interviewing a gentleman who lived on one of the barrier islands of the Carolinas, not far from where the storm ended up coming on shore. Uh, He was right there in the path where they thought that the most destruction would come. The only access to this island was through a bridge, and they were about to close that bridge down. And so this reporter uh, was interviewing this man and essentially was pleading with him, "'Sir, why, why don't you leave this island?' Well, this man went on to say that he had been there through storms for 46 years and he planned to be there through this storm and storms to come, that, that he wasn't going to go anywhere, that it's just never as bad as they say. The reporter went on to read with him more information, more data, what the latest reports were, what the expectations were, pleaded with him to leave again. He said, well, I just don't think it's going to be that bad. And so then the reporter said this. Well, sir, it's clear that you don't fear for your life, but what about the lives of those who will be at risk who have to come save you? Well, what about the workers who are going to have to come to your rescue? If this storm does what they say it will do, do you have any concern for the lives that you will put at risk of others who will have to come and save you? This man just smiled and said, well, that's not going to happen. It's not going to be that bad. Well, of course, we now know it has been bad. Uh, this has been a devastating storm, and it came on shore right about the spot that this stubborn man stood and was interviewed on that camera. The very place where he said, it just won't be that bad. Well, it was bad, and it continues to be bad. The latest reports are at least 14 people have lost their lives. That count will likely go up as floodwaters rise. I saw a report just before I came in here for the second service. The governor of North Carolina has, has, has said to people, stay out of our state. <laughs> we're, we're shutting roads down. There, there's too much destruction, too much devastation. Unless you're coming in as part of a relief effort, just give us some time. Don't even come here. It, it's a terrible, devastating tragedy that's come there through this storm. And fortunately, many people listen to the warnings. Many people heard the reports, and they were also interviewing them. People who said, you know, I've never left for a storm before, but this time something was different. This time they saw the warning, and that warning led them to action. As Paul writes this letter to the Galatians, he is showing them that the law indeed had a purpose. And the purpose of that law was to show them Their utter devastation. The purpose of the law was to show them that they indeed were sinners and that destruction was coming through the wrath of God. The purpose of the law then was to push them to action. That action being their need to trust in Jesus Christ. To trust by faith in the One in whom God gave this promise through whom we could receive eternal life. As we look to this letter, we are reminded once again of our need to flee from putting our faith in what we think, in our works, and our actions, to trust fully in Christ. And so, how does the law play a part into this? Well, that's what we're going to look at as we walk through this text, beginning with the verse point there in your outline. The law shows us that we are sinners. Paul begins here in verse 19 by saying, Why then the law? He says it was added because of transgressions. See, the false teaching that had come to Galatia was those who said that it was through the law that you could gain salvation. And so they said, if you go back to the Old Testament, go back to the Old Testament law, sure, have faith in Christ. Christ is the Messiah. But you also need to go back to the Old Testament law and do these things that the law teaches us. You will find salvation through the law. This was a false teaching. And Paul corrects this teaching by showing the Galatians that the law doesn't show us how to be saved. It shows us that we are sinners. The law shows us our need for salvation. But the law cannot and does not and will not save us. And one of the fundamental purposes of the law was to show us that we are sinners. So how does the law do this? Well, first, the law shows us the righteous, holy standard of God and helps us to see that that we don't meet that standard. See, it's just like we have civil laws in our culture today. And we have laws in the state of Kentucky. We have national laws. We have local ordinances. Why do we have these regulations? We have these because we are not perfect people. Well, we have these because our natural inclination isn't to do the right thing all the time. We need laws in place to show us that there's a standard And God's law is so much greater than man's law, and God's law shows us that none of us meet that standard, that only God meets that standard. So we need these laws because as sinful people, we need the law to restrain us. It's the same reason that we need civil laws. Think, for example, about laws related to shoplifting or stealing. Uh, For those of you who... Our, right here in the Bloomfield area, Chaplin area, uh, you probably are familiar with our Bloomfield Walmart just up the road there. Uh, we've got our Dollar General and, and perhaps you have had the experience where uh, you were in a hurry, maybe you need to just run out and pick something up real quick and you were in the midst of uh, something's going on there at the house and something's getting baked and oh my goodness we don't have sugar, well we'll just run to Dollar General real quick and get some sugar. So you go in there, you get the sugar, you walk around the corner and then you notice There's about 15 people in line in front of you. And if you're not familiar with our Bloomfield Walmart, a 15-person line doesn't move very quickly. It moves rather slowly. So let me ask you a question. Let's say you're in that situation. You've got your pound of sugar. That's all you have. You're looking around. The doors are open. Doesn't look like anybody's watching. Why not just walk out with that sugar? Now, if you've done that, let's talk afterwards. But hopefully in this illustration, you haven't done that. Therefore, it'll make some sense to the point. Well, why not just walk out the door with your pound of sugar? I mean, come on, it's not really worth that much. I don't know what the profit margin is on a pound of sugar at Dollar General, but but it can't be a whole lot there. Well, why not just walk right out that door, hurry up and get back to your guests, bake your cake or whatever it is you need that sugar for? Well, there should be a couple of reasons you don't do that as followers of christ we should be convicted that, that we are to watch out for our fellow man we're not to steal we're not to rob from one another god's word certainly says many things about this but let's just set that aside for a moment let's imagine you're, you're not a christian those who are just in the store they don't believe in god they don't have any moral compass What well, what keeps them from just walking out the door with a pound of sugar well we have laws We have the implementation of those laws. We have the reinforcement of those laws. And if you walk out the door with a pound of sugar, at some point somebody's going to get caught doing that and you will be in trouble. But what if we were to remove that threat? What if we were to remove the enforcement of law? What would it look like then? I'll tell you what it would look like. Got on the internet last night, pulled up the local news there in Wilmington, North Carolina and saw a video of people looting a store, that there was a family dollar store there in the middle of a neighborhood, and they got on the scene about the time the doors had been bust open, and people were just rushing in the store, taking as much as they could get, some of them filling up grocery carts, and literally rolling them across the street to where they live. Some of the people covered their face when they saw cameras come. Others just walked out of the store smiling. No one stopped what they were doing. Why? Because there was no enforcement of the law. And in that case, the law didn't restrain anyone because there was no enforcement of it, and people did as they pleased. Now, everybody's not looting in Wilmington right now. There are people with a moral compass. There are people who have the Holy Spirit within them. There are people who, for various reasons, they're not going to rush in and rob things. But there are others. When you remove that threat, when you remove that enforcement, when you remove the restraint of the law, they will act as they please. God in His grace towards us gives us the law not only to show us that we don't meet that righteous standard, but to call us to a higher standard and to restrain us. And ultimately, what we see as we get into the law is that it not only does these things, but it entirely exposes how wicked and how sinful we are because it is holy and we are not. Listen to what God's Word says of itself. Psalm 19, verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Psalm 119, 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. Paul in Romans 7, verse 12 says it this way. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. And so the law is the holy, righteous standard and shows us how desperately short of that we fall. It doesn't just show us that we've missed the mark of holiness. It shows us that we indeed are sinners. That's why we read in Romans 3.20, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And so we may feel pretty good about ourselves, And then we open up God's Word and we realize, oh, wait a second. (laughs) I'm not the standard. My my moral compass is not the standard. God's Word is the standard. And in light of that holy standard, I am indeed a sinner and far from the righteousness of God. See, God's Word exposes our sin. God's Word shows us what sin is. That's why Paul writes in Romans 7, verse 7, If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin for I would not have known what it was to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Now, I've used the illustration before. It's kind of like a speed limit sign and how it functions. You're driving down the road going 55 miles an hour. You come up on a speed limit sign and find that it says 35 miles an hour and suddenly you realize you're doing what? You're breaking the law. That The law shows you that you fall short. But really a better example would be this. Now, imagine that you were going to be leaving uh, tomorrow for a vacation in Orlando, Florida. Now, for some of you, that's not vacation, but just imagine for a moment. You you load up the car, you load up the kids, you load up everything, you get in the car, and and let's say you leave early in the morning, everybody's sleeping, you don't have to stop much, you're, you're just cruising on down the road, maybe you hit a rest stop about four hours in. Let's imagine you get eight hours down the road before you need to take a a stop to eat. So you're watching those road signs and you're thinking, okay, it's time to stop, we need to find a place to eat. You're on your way to Orlando, you're eight hours in, and you notice a sign that says, Niagara Falls, 30 miles. Now what does that tell you? You were going the wrong way. (laughs) You are going the complete opposite way of where you needed to be going. Friends, that is the function of the law. The law doesn't just show us a standard that we've missed. The law shows us we've been going the wrong way. Paul was saying to those in Galatia who think somehow by their works they're going to achieve righteousness, he says, friend, you are going the wrong way. You haven't just missed the mark a little bit. You're not just looking at a situation, well, well, yeah, I can't be perfect, but if I try harder, no. You are putting your faith in the wrong thing. Friends, we live in a confused world. And if we're not careful, we can be in a confused church where people have this thought that if I just try hard enough, if I'm just sincere enough about what I believe, I'll be okay. And so many are sincere, but they're sincere about the wrong thing. And they're going in the wrong direction. And God's word screams at us. It's time to turn around. Friends, that's what repentance is. Repentance is recognizing I'm going the wrong way and I'm going to stop and I'm going to turn around and I'm going to run towards the cross of Christ and I'm going to leave this behind. When's the last time you left sin behind? I'm not talking about the last time you felt guilty, you said, I'm sorry, you vowed you'd never do it again. When's the last time you just turned away from sin and you turned to the cross? Friends, that's what repentance is. And the purpose of the law is to show us our need for repentance because it shows us that we are sinners. Pastor John MacArthur says it this way, the impossible demands of the law were meant to compel men to recognize their violation of God's standards, and to seek His grace through faith in His Son. When a man looks at the law, he sees that his living is more than simply wrong. It is sin. It is an offense against the holy God, before whom no sinful person can stand. The law shows men their violation of the will of God, who rules the universe and holds them accountable for their sin. Friends, the law gives us this perfect standard of God and shows us we indeed are sinners. Paul goes on then to say this, until the offspring should come, verse 19, to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. This is a rather... uh, cryptic thing that paul says here he doesn't really explain what he's saying here in fact in my research i found that there are literally hundreds of interpretations of what paul was saying in these verses i will not share with you hundreds of interpretations this morning i'll just kind of bring it all in there's a lot we may not fully be able to grasp on what he's saying here but i think in in general what he's saying is that he's talking about the role that a mediator plays and paul is saying here that the difference between the the law given through Moses and the promise given through Abraham is this, that the law came through intermediaries, that the law came through others. The law was given to Moses and then given to the people. There are some passages that suggest that in giving the law to Moses, God involved angels in that process, and so the law was given through angels at times to Moses to be given to the people. But Paul here is saying the promise is so much greater because God gave the promise directly to Abraham. There was no intermediary, that the promise came directly from him. And what is clear in this passage is that that promise comes, verse 19, through the offspring to whom the promise had been made. And Paul has already made it very clear through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that offspring indeed is Christ, which brings us to the second point in your outline there. The law not only shows us we are sinners, the law then shows us our need for Christ. Paul goes on to say, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Paul basically says this, if you could be saved by works, you would be saved by works. If the law could save you, then the law would save you. But it doesn't work that way. That The law cannot save. The law cannot give us life. That's why he goes on to say, but the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. He's saying we can only receive life through Christ. We can never receive it through the law. In fact, what does he say the law does for us? He says here, it makes us prisoners of sin. So the law shows us that we are actually enslaved to sin. Now think about that for a moment. Enslaved to sin. That means the law holds us down in our sin to the point where we can't do anything different. Now, I realize I am among the land of the free here. And we pride ourselves on individuality in our nation. We pride ourselves on, I, I can do as I want to do. I have freedoms. I can, I- I- nobody's enslaved me. But think about this when it comes to sin. The Scripture says, apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ you and I are enslaved to sin. So what does that look like? I'm not going to ask for anybody to raise their hand or give a testimony this morning, but go with me for a moment here. Just think for a moment of a sin you have struggled with. Perhaps one that has occurred more than once. Something, whether it be a burst of anger, your your pride, a temptation you face, something that you find yourself coming back to time and time again. And you recognize this is wrong and this is sin. I shouldn't speak this way. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't act this way. I shouldn't think these things. I shouldn't act on this temptation. Now, have that in mind for a moment. Now, stop it. Don't do it anymore. So, whatever it is you're struggling with, just stop it right now. Sound good? Let's sing. Matt, where's he at? We're done. Just stop it. You might say, well, well, it's not that simple. Well, sure it is. Stop it! Now, go with me for a second. There's probably been times when you thought you could. There's probably been times when you've said to others, well, I'll never do this again. And there may be vices in your life that you've just sat down and walked away from and never come back to. But when you talk about the entirety of your sin nature, why is it that you just can't stop it because friends you're a slave to sin and the scripture says that the law imprisons you in a way that the law shows you this overwhelming burden of sin the law shows us that we indeed are not righteous and therefore we desperately need Jesus Christ Proverbs 20 verse 9 says it this way who can say I've made my heart pure I'm clean from my sin Who, who can make that claim apart from Christ Who can say, I have no sin, my heart is clean. And the scripture says, no one can. There's no righteous, no, not even one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, Paul says, the reason for this is because we are slaves to sin. He says, we are slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Pastor Tim Keller says it this way, this is the purpose of the law. It shows us that we do not just fall short of God's will, requiring some extra effort to do better, but that we are completely under sin's power, requiring a rescue. And friends, that's the good news of the gospel. Jesus is that rescue. When we realize our awful, devastating condition, Jesus is the one who saves us from this slavery to sin, and frees us and allows us to live a life of faith. What what Paul is doing here clearly in Galatians 3 is he's trying to get through this difference between a promise that we believe in and therefore receive and a law that we try to perform under and can never perfectly achieve. I'll give you an example. Keller does a great job as he writes about this and describing it this way. Let's imagine this morning that I come to you and say, I have a very wealthy uncle. And this wealthy uncle uh, wants to give you $10 million. And actually this wealthy uncle has come here to Bloomfield. He's in my office right now. And all you need to do if you're willing to receive this $10 million is you just need to meet with me and my uncle after church today and you'll receive this $10 million. Now, how would you respond to that offer? I'm sure some of you would be a bit curious. I imagine for some of us we would say, well, that's that's not true. That's not going to happen. And so for some, you would likely just leave church this morning. You wouldn't go near my office because you'd say that's, that's foolishness. There's no rich uncle in there. No, nobody's going to give me $10 million. But friends, if it's true, the only thing you need to do to receive it is to believe. If it's true, it doesn't require... Any deed on your part, it simply requires that you believe in the promise in order to receive it. But let's look at it a different way. What if I were to say to you, well, I have a very wealthy uncle. His estate is worth billions of dollars. He wants you to inherit that estate. But in order to inherit it, there's a list of stipulations. He's not necessarily in poor health, but he demands... Constant attention and caregiving. He has put together a list of 5,023 things you must do every day to His satisfaction. And if you will do these 5,023 things every day to His satisfaction between today and the day He dies, then you will inherit His fortune. Now what do you need to do to receive that? Well, now we're not talking about a promise that you receive through belief. We're talking about an inheritance that you receive through obedience to the law, to the stipulations, through your performance. See, the law of God is a standard that has far more than 5,023 stipulations. It is an impossible standard for us. Therefore, we can never receive the inheritance through our performance. But what we receive is through a promise. And this promise is made to us through Jesus Christ. And Jesus does not come to us today and say, if you will do this, 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 and this, you may receive this. He said, if you will believe, if you will have faith, if you will trust in me, you will receive the promise of eternal life. The law shows us that we cannot receive this through our deeds and our works we can only receive it through our belief and through our faith. That is why we come back to Ephesians two eight nine over and over and over again. It is through grace that we've been saved through faith. It's not of our own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so in order to receive this promise, we need to place our full trust in Christ. Friend, is your trust in Jesus today? You know why we need to put our trust in Jesus, don't you? Because He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. There is no way to the Father but through Christ. That's why we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might receive the righteousness of God. So God's Word actually says we we can be lifted to this standard of righteousness if we will put our faith and our trust and our hope in Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Romans 10 tells us very clearly, if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. It comes through belief and it comes through faith. So friends, this is not a difficult test. Do you believe? Have you placed your trust in Jesus? And understand this. If you say you believe, but you've not put your faith in Christ, then your belief is fruitless and is of no eternal value to you. And there are far too many people in the church today who I believe fall into this category. Who will quickly say, oh yes, I believe these things. I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that it's only through Christ that you can have salvation. I believe Jesus was the Son of God. But when you look at their life, when you examine the fruit of their deeds, there's no discernible difference between them and all those who don't have belief. Friend, if your belief has not borne fruit in your life, then you don't have genuine faith in Jesus Christ you've got some head knowledge that you will spend eternity in hell considering. But it won't save you unless you act on that belief in faith and in trust in Jesus Christ. You go back to that interview with that man on that barrier island as a storm was coming. And those interviews with so many people and those who would say, oh yes, I understand it's going to be a bad storm i understand it's going to be devastating I, I believe what you're saying here but i'm not going anywhere it doesn't matter whether they believe it or not it doesn't matter if they ever received one of those reports because they're not acting on what they've been told belief must lead to action belief must lead us to faith that is what the scripture says and until you understand how desperate your situation is and how massive the storm of God's wrath is that is coming on you, you will not turn and place faith in Jesus. You cannot embrace the good news until you understand the bad news. And that is what the law does for us. God's Word shows us our need. For example, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Ephesians 5, 5 and 6, For you may be sure of this, That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Friends, what God's word says to us is that we're sinners and we need to repent. What our culture says to us is, oh no, you're okay. You're not that bad. Everybody does it. Why would somebody expect you to not do that? Follow your heart. And the Scripture says, your heart is wicked and will deceive you more than anything else in this world. The Scripture says, you, friend, are indeed a sinner and God is going to judge sin friends, there is something coming much more massive than a hurricane. There is a tsunami of judgment coming to us. And the good news of the gospel is if we will place our faith and our hope in Him, we are covered from the wrath of God. We are secure at Calvary at the cross. But if we are trusting in any other thing, friend, we will be Devastated by God's wrath. I saw one headline just this morning, going back to that hurricane, and someone who lost everything. And their quote was this. I thought I'd be okay because I lived in a brick house. (laughs) Friends, that's how so many of us consider the judgment of God. I thought I'd be okay because I lived a pretty good life. I thought I'd be okay because I was better than most. I thought I'd be okay because I really just tried to be a good person. And the Scripture says there is no shelter for us outside of Calvary's cross. But here's the great news. If we will place our faith in Jesus... Then we are covered from that storm of God's wrath, and we, we have that burden of the law lifted off of us entirely. And that's what we'll end with this morning. Point three. Faith in Christ frees us then from the burden of the law. Verse twenty three, Paul says, Before faith came we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until faith could be, until coming faith could be revealed. He's saying again, the law shows us that we're sinners and we're slaves to sin. Verse 24, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So he's saying now that we have Christ, we're no longer under the burden of the law. The law burdened us to show us our need for Christ. But now in Christ, we don't need to carry around the burden of sin on our backs anymore. That that burden can be lifted through the gospel of Jesus Christ. A great illustration of this is found in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful work. I encourage you, if you've not read that, to read it. That there are modern versions that make the language easier. It's such a vivid description of what the Scripture is teaching us here. About what it means to have the burden of sin on us and what it means to have that burden lifted through Christ. Bunyan starts his work by saying this. As I walked through the wilderness of this world, I lighted upon a certain place where was a den and laid me down in that place to sleep. And as I slept, I dreamed a dream. I dreamed and behold, I saw a man clothed with rags, standing in a certain place with his face from his house, a book in his hand, and a great burden upon his back. I looked and saw him open the book, And read therein, and as he read, he wept and trembled. And not being able longer to contain, he broke out with a lamentable cry and said, What shall I do? Bunyan goes on to talk about an encounter that this man has with one named Evangelist. Evangelist comes and asks the man, Wherefore dost thou cry? And Pilgrim answered, Sir, I perceive by the book in my hand that I am condemned to die, and after that come to judgment. Evangelist then points the pilgrim towards a distant gate and towards a light on the hill and says, if he will follow that path, if he will enter through that gate, if he will go to the light on that hill, his burden will be lifted. And to this, this pilgrim says, life, life, eternal life. And he starts on this journey. See, this burden that you find on his back, it's the burden of sin that this book in his hand is the Word of God. And it shows him in the law how great a burden this sin is. And as he goes through trial and toil and many turns and many snares, this burden can't be taken off. He tries so many ways to remove it, but he never can until he gets to that light on the hill. Until he comes to the cross at Calvary. And there at the cross, finally, this pilgrim this one who's called Christian, is able to have that burden laid down. And he sings this song of deliverance. Thus far did I come laden with my sin, nor caught aught ease the grief that was in. Till I came hither, what a place is this? Must here be the beginning of my bliss? Must here the burden from my back fall? Must hear the strings that bound it to me crack. Blessed cross, blessed tomb, blessed rather be the man that there was put to shame for me. Friends, Christ has bore the full burden of your sin. There's nothing you have done that is taking you out of His reach. And He calls you today to repent, to believe, and to trust in Him. So let's stand together and let's respond with those very things. Father God, we do come to you in Christ's name, reminded from your word that the law shows us the burden of sin that is on us. Lord, I pray for any here this morning who is feeling that burden now, who is feeling that burden and that weight of sin, that they would know clearly that they can't remove that on their own, that there's no good work they can do that will lift that burden there's nothing they can do to appease that guilty conscience that they need the gospel that we all need the gospel and so father i pray that we would respond wherever we are this morning in repentance and in faith in trust and in hope lord we don't need to achieve a a list of rules we don't need to follow the standard of the law We can put our trust and our hope in Jesus today. And I pray that we would do that now. In Christ's name, amen.